who is like the Lord our God? And the perceived answer is this, no one. No one is like the Lord our God. Um, I love it. Uh, yeah, anyway. <laughs> um, if uh, I'm going to ask people to hand out sheets, Laura and Aisley, they're going to hand out sheets to you guys uh, this morning. Uh, it's kind of a little bit different uh, because those are the verses I'm going to be going through, and there's a lot of different verses, and I hope it doesn't really feel too much like school, but uh, I think it will help you follow along uh, what's going on in terms of the new covenant and what we are talking about. As they do hand that out, I just want to praise the Lord. Uh, yesterday was a wonderful day. Um, we went to the Irish Youth Convention, and there was over 500 teenagers praising and worshiping the Lord on our island. That is worthy of praise. And so we thank the Lord. He is moving, and He is moving amongst the young people in our land, and we need to pray for them. We need to pray for the young people in Ireland, and we need to pray for the young people in our church that God would strengthen them and mobilize them and move them to preach the good news. Um, so yeah, that was exciting for me yesterday. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help as we look at this new covenant. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the truth that we hold in our hands. I pray, Lord, that You'd help us to understand this truth, impart it, and bring it into our hearts, that we might worship You and see You as our King and see you as the mediator of the new covenant. In your precious name, I pray these things. Amen. Why did I give you the sheet this morning? The reason I gave you the sheet this morning is this. Over the last number of weeks, what we have been doing is something like this. We have been climbing a mountain. And in many ways, climbing the mountain of the biblical covenants. And climbing that mountain, in many ways, is a difficult thing to do. It's difficult for the preacher in terms of studying and trying to get all these pieces together and fit them together. And it might be difficult for you in terms of seeing the trajectory of the Bible. And as we've been climbing up this mountain, we've been climbing from the covenant with Adam to the covenant with Noah to the covenant with Abraham to the covenant covenant with Moses, to the covenant with David, and last week we got to the top of the mountain. And what we did on the top of the mountain is we zoomed in on just one passage, Hebrews chapter 10, and we looked at the glory and the beauty of the new covenant as we zoomed in on the top of the mountain. We got there. It's kind of like we did this. You got to the top of the mountain, you're like… And you're looking down and you see the beauty. I've made it, I've made it, I've made it. But now what I want to do this morning is get you to not do this, get you to lift your heads, look out, and see the beautiful and glorious view from the mountain of this new covenant. That's what I want you to see this morning. And what I want you to see is one word really. The fact that the new covenant is better. It is better. When you look at your life, I am sure there are things in your life that you want to be better. 
That's my guess. You look at certain things in your life and you say about those certain things, I wish they could be better. Let me give you two mundane examples from my life. Number one that I wish would be better, my car. I wish my car would be just a little bit better. We were driving up to the north with the kids, five hours up, five hours back. We went to the mechanic just to, you know, look at it because I was like, can this car do 10 hours? Let's see. So we went to the mechanic and he gave me the list and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, you're going to pass your NCT. So I was like, well, well, if we pass the NCT, we'll make it up to the north, hopefully. And I looked at this list and I thought to myself, Lord, I just love a slightly better car. Maybe that's not you know, very Christian of me, I don't know, maybe that's not very spiritual, I don't know, but it just, just something a little bit better. That's mundane, right? We all want better things. The other better thing that I wanted is this. I was walking along the streets the other day, and it was raining, and guess what happened? My socks were wet. I had shoes on, but my socks were wet. And I said to myself, I really should get some better shoes. Mundane things. We long as human beings for things that are just a little bit better. We get something, and yet we want something that's better. We have something, and yet we want something that's better. As Christmas comes, you know what your kids will want? They will want something that's better than they had last year. We're constantly longing and looking for, and you know, that's why Apple makes so much money every single year. Because you don't want number 12, you want number 13. And you don't know number 13, then you want number 14. And you don't want number 14, you want number 15. They are keying in on the fact that we as human beings always want something that is better. And the good news for us this morning is that the new covenant, it is that better thing that we are longing for. And it is far better than all of the other covenants that we have looked at. Because in the new covenant, all is fulfilled. And in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 22, it says this. You can look at it there. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 22. When the writer to the Hebrews is talking about Jesus and all that Jesus has done, he says this of Jesus, that this makes Jesus the guarantor or the guarantee of a better covenant. This is what the new covenant is called. It is called the better covenant. That's what we have in Christ Jesus. We have the better covenant. So what makes this new covenant a better covenant? In the new covenant, there is a new and better garden. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. And there in the garden, they were in the presence of the Lord. They were where they were meant to be for eternity. They were close with the Lord, and there was a close relationship that they had with the Lord. That's the way it was meant to be for all eternity. And the covenant phrase that kind of sums up the relationship that God wanted with His people is the phrase, this phrase, I will be their God, and they will be my people. That's what it was meant to be like for eternity, an eternal relationship where God says, I will be their God, and they will be my people. 
It is a phrase that God repeats throughout the Scriptures in Jeremiah 24, 7, 31, 33, 32, 38, and Ezekiel eleven twenty 20, and, and 37, 23, and 37, 27, and, and Zechariah 8, 8, where God continuously says, I will be their God, and they will be my people. That's God's desire. He commits to us, and in covenant relationship, He wants us to commit to Him. And that was meant to be the relationship for eternity, except what happened? God's people broke the covenant, and they were banished outside of the garden, seemingly never to return, until God initiated His redemption plan. And in the glories of the Scripture, we come to another garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, the Garden of pain and the Garden of betrayal and the Garden of suffering, where Jesus prays these words, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup from, pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. What is Jesus praying in that garden of Gethsemane? He is praying, Father, take this cup from me. What does He mean cup? Does He have a physical cup that's there? And He's saying, Lord, take this cup. No, it is the cup of God's wrath. In the Old Testament, whenever it spoke about the cup, it was speaking about the cup of God's wrath. And what Jesus is praying to the Father is, Father, if it be Your will, take the cup of wrath from me. Yet He prays in the garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but yours be done. And then his body moves to the garden of Golgotha. In John chapter 19, verse 41, it says this, Now in the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one yet had been laid. There in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was betrayed. And a garden of Golgotha, he was laid in the tomb. But the Lord Jesus, he defeated sin and death. And in that garden, he rose from the grave, which gives you and me hope. Those of us who have believed and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't have the Garden of Gethsemane. We don't have the Garden of Golgotha. We don't have the Garden of Eden. We have the eternal garden, the new heavens and the new earth, and that is where we will be for eternity if you have trusted in Him, for there is where there is the tree of life. Revelation 22 verse 1 says this, Then the angel showed me the river of water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. This is the garden that we long for. This is the new and better garden. And the only way to inherit the new and better garden is to embrace the new and better covenant. And in that new and better garden, do you know what there is? There is a new and better rest. 
<laughs> the new and better rest is one of my favorite themes in Scripture. I don't really know why. Maybe it's because my life doesn't always feel that restful. But it is one of those themes that I think I bring up quite often in this church. In that garden will be that perfect rest that we all long for. You see, the Lord in creating the creation, what did He do on the seventh day? He rested in that covenant with Adam. He rested on the seventh day in that covenant with Moses. What did He call Moses and the people to do? I command you to take a Sabbath rest. He called on the people to continually take rest throughout their lives and to trust in Him for His, by His provision. And in the Lord Jesus, it says in Colossians that He is our true and final rest. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to the, a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. There, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. When you're walking along with your children on the road, maybe there's sunshine and it casts a shadow. What do you love? Do you love the shadow or do you love the child? The only reason you like the shadow is because the shadow points to the child that you love. The Sabbath was but a shadow. The substance, the meat, belongs to Christ. And if we've trusted in Him and if we've believed in Him, we will have final, full rest in the eternal garden. Is that a place that you long for? Is that a place that you are going? I wonder what place you're in this morning. Sometimes we find ourselves in different places in life, don't we? Some of us this morning, we might be in a depressed state, a depressed place. Some of us this morning, we might find ourselves in an angry place. Some of us this morning, we might find ourselves in a place that we don't want to be. Jesus came and He said to His disciples in John 14, He said to them, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And in that place, there will be no more depression, no more anger, no more frustration, no more doubt. That is the new and better place that we can inherit, the new and better garden, the new and better rest, that those who trust in Jesus can have. And in this new and better covenant, there is also a new and better marriage. With Adam and Eve, God said, the, two, the man and the woman, they shall become one flesh and the, and the two shall be united and honor the Lord in this covenantal relationship. But this is the reality of this covenantal relationship. It was always pointing to something that would be new and something that would be better. That is the purpose of every single marriage, that every single marriage would point beyond itself and point to something that is truly better. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 31 says this, Therefore the man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. 
This mystery is profound. I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. This marriage, this mystery is profound because this marriage, this mystery, it is but a shadow. It is but a picture. It is to point forward to the relationship between Christ and His church. Our marriages isn't all there is to be. They are to point forward to something better than ourselves. So there's two things I think we need to remember about our marriages. Here are the two things we need to remember about our marriages. Number one, our marriages, they are vitally important. If you are married today, your marriage, it is vitally important. We were talking about the covenants and and the reality of being committed to the covenant. You know, you were committing to that covenant till death do us part. That is something that we do not take lightly. We remember this covenant. We follow this covenant. We see this as vitally important in our lives. We keep it until death do us part. Do you think of your marriage in that way? It is absolutely vital, but not in and of itself because what our marriages do is this. They proclaim the gospel to a lost and dying world. It is a picture of Christ and the church. That means you and I, and I say you and I, we need to work on our marriages and take them seriously because they are going to be a picture of the gospel to a lost and dying world. Our marriages, they are vitally important. They are vital. But we also must remember this about our marriages. Our marriages are temporal. Our marriages, they will not last forever. Sometimes I think in the church, we're guilty of elevating marriage as the be-all and end-all. But the reality is this. We were born into this world, not married, we were born into this world single. We spent a lot of our lives single. Paul speaks of the reality of a single life that can help us in our devotion and commitment to the Lord. He doesn't speak down against singleness. He almost elevates singleness. Our Lord and Savior, the most perfect and complete man in all of the world, He Himself was single. In our marriages, if you are married today, here's what's going to probably happen. One of you is going to outlive the other. One of you is going to die first. I really hope it's not her, because I'm dead. I'm done for. One of us is going to die first, which means I'm going to be single again, or she's going to be single again. It's not the be-all and end-all. And in the final day, those temporal marriages, they will give way to the eternal marriage between the church and Christ. That's the marriage we long for. That's the marriage feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb. The new covenant points us to a new and better marriage. And the new covenant, it points us to a new and better salvation. We had this marriage picture in Adam's covenant, 
but we have the new and better salvation picture that we lean to and glean from the covenant that God made with Noah. You see, God made a covenant with Noah, and in that covenant with Noah, He rescued people on the ark, didn't He? A people He rescued from judgment, which was a picture of His salvation that is to come, His new and better salvation that is to come. And Isaiah speaks in Isaiah 54 of this new and better salvation that is to come that Noah's covenant pictured for us. He says this, This is like the days of Noah to me, as I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart and the hills may be removed, but, says the Lord, my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed." says the Lord who has compassion on you. What Isaiah is referring to here is this fact. The Lord showed His steadfast love on His people by rescuing eight on the ark. And so there is coming a covenant of peace. It's another word for the new covenant. And in that covenant of peace, in that new covenant, the Lord is again going to show His steadfast love and compassion because the Lord, He is going to rescue His people, not from the judgment of water, but from the greater judgment of eternal fire. That is the great and better salvation. And we see that in God's covenant with Noah. We also see the greater and better salvation in God's covenant with Moses where we see a new and a better exodus. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 1, God spoke these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. There we have the old exodus where God rescued His people out of their physical slavery, which pointed forward to a greater salvation where God would rescue His people not out of a physical slavery, but out of a spiritual slavery to our sins. And so Jesus Jesus says in John chapter 8 these most wonderful words, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So, if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. That is a glorious verse. We were born as slaves to sin. And if we do not trust in Christ, we will remain slave to sin. But the new exodus has come in which the Lord Jesus has rescued us through His death, burial, and resurrection, and He has freed us. And if the Son sets you free, what are you? You are free indeed. Sometimes we live our Christian life like we still have the chains on. Like, I'm I'm still committing the sin, and I still have the chains on, and I'm living with the chains on, and I focus on the chains, and I focus on my slavery, and I focus on all that is happening. No, Christian, the chains have been broken. You have been set free, and if Christ has set you free, you are free indeed. No longer a slave to sin. No longer having to follow the ways of this world. Sin no longer has mastery over you. So when it tempts you, you by the Spirit, 
you can say no because the Son, He has set you free. It is a new and better salvation. And in this new and better salvation, there is a new and better blessing. In God's covenant with Abraham, you'll remember He gave this threefold promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. He promised Abraham land, seed, and blessing, and five times over and over again He repeated blessing, 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 blessing. There was going to come this promise of blessing. And yet, how would that blessing come? Not through the Abrahamic covenant in and of itself. We needed a new and better covenant, a better covenant than the one with Adam, a better covenant than the one with Noah, a better covenant than the one with Abraham, a better covenant than the one with David. We needed true and better blessing. And that comes to us through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you all the nations will be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. What that tells us, what Paul is saying, is that Abraham was preached the gospel. And the gospel that Abraham was preached was this, in you, through your family line, through your seed, all the nations of this world will be blessed because through your family line is coming the Lord Jesus. And those who believe in the Lord Jesus will become the family of faith in Abraham. He continues on in Galatians 3 verse 26. For in Christ Jesus you are sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs to the promise. This promise of land, seed, and blessing is a promise that you and I get by belief and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, we need to be a people who celebrate that. Sometimes I don't think Christians celebrate enough. We should celebrate the fact that we have the new covenant in the Lord Jesus, that we are new creations. There should never be a time where we don't celebrate. And yes, there are times where we feel sorrowful and where we lament, but we do not lament as people without hope. You know, there's people I know right now who are lamenting and grieving things desperately sad in their lives. And when I look at them, I look at them and I think, where on earth is their hope? Where is their hope? For you and me, we lament and we grieve as people who have hope. And therefore we celebrate because we are going to get the inheritance 
the new land, the new seed, the new blessing that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Celebrate that. And if you do not believe in the Lord Jesus this morning, you need that salvation. You need to trust in him so that you will be that person who inherits the new garden, who inherits the new rest, who inherits that new and better place. That's what we long for. Some of you might know um, that I have been uh, writing a lot. I've been writing a dissertation or trying to and trying to finish it. And I have never mentioned here yet in, in the few years I've been doing this, the guy that I've been writing on. Why? Because I probably haven't wanted to bore you. <laughs> but the guy that, <laughs> yes, I mean. <laughs> the guy that uh, I've been writing on is a guy by the name of Benjamin Keach. And he was a preacher, a Baptist pe preacher in the 1600s. And I've been able to just read his sermons over and over again for my dissertation, and it's been just wonderfully edifying. And in this uh, sermon that he preaches, he preaches it in 1689. And he preaches it on Genesis 28. And in Genesis 28, he has this kind of like thing in the margin notes of the sermon. Just in the margin notes. He doesn't make a great big deal of it. But in the margin notes, he says this. To preach Christ is to preach Him as the substance of all the shadows. To preach Christ, in other words, is to preach Him as the one who is better than all those shadows that were to come. In other words, He is the better representative of all the covenants that we have. And so Keach goes on to say, Christ is the second Adam, the public person and great covenanting head and blessed representative of all His elect. Christ is the true and better Noah, an heir of the world that builds the ark that saves all just persons, the true preacher of righteousness that sends out the dove that repairs the lost world. Christ is the true and better Abraham to whom all promises are made, the father of the faithful who recovers all the captives. Christ is the true and better Moses that brings his children out of spiritual slavery in Egypt, out of the bondage of sin and Satan's control. Christ is the true and better David, the only anointed king the whom, in whom the covenant stands for ever. What is Keach saying? Christ is the better Adam. Christ is the better Noah. Christ is the better Abraham. Christ is the better Moses. Christ is the better David because Christ brings the new and better covenant. And in the new and better covenant, what do we have? We have the better garden. We have the better rest. We have the better marriage. We have the better salvation. We have the better blessing. Everything is better. And that's not all. In Christ, we have the true and better tabernacle. We have the better sacrifice. We have the better lamb. We have the better prophet. We have the better priest. We have the better king to whom all the Scriptures point. 
the Lord Jesus, He was giving out to the Pharisees, and He said to the Pharisees, you search the Scriptures because you think in, the, in them you will find life, but what you are forgetting is this, all the Scriptures, they bear witness of Me. They point to Me. And so my hope in this series is as you look at the Bible, and as you look at all the covenants, and whenever you are reading it, is that it is always pointing to the new and better covenant that can be found in the new and better prophet, priest, king, the Lord Jesus. And for those who trust in Him, we are promised a new and better life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for this new covenant that we have in You. And Lord, we pray that we as Your people will be those who trust in You for our salvation, who will trust in You for a new and better life and a new and better hope. And so, Lord, I pray, help us to fix our minds solely on You. Help us to see You and who You are and what you have done for us on the cross. Thank you that we have this blessing. Thank you that we have this promise of rest. Thank you that one day we will be in the new garden. In your name, amen. We're going to stand.